I can remember way back when uh, we were um, expecting, right? Maybe uh, some of you can think back, uh, back to that time. And, you know, you tell people that you're having a baby and everybody's very, very excited for you. And they, they're, they're just cheer and they're all smiles. Uh, what they don't tell you is just how extremely hard is going to be right at the beginning, right? And, you know, yeah, you give birth to your little child and you love it, but immediately the, the pressure is on. Not only just raising a child, but then how you relate together, you know, uh, husband and wife and all that. I remember a few years ago talking to somebody in our church uh, there at the Brea campus now, but he was, I think, genuinely ticked off at all of his friends, like the church, that when they said they're pregnant, everybody was so excited, but nobody told them how hard. And he's like, these are the hardest days in my entire life. And like, nobody told me that. You know, he's like, is it like a conspiracy? Is it like you guys know it's going to be hard, but you just like, you know, play it up like it'll be really, really easy? You know, what, what's going on? And I think it's that kind of thing like, yeah, well, we look back, we remember it, it was hard. We remember there were hard days, but just the joy and as time goes on, you kind of forget that, you know, and you just, you caught in those good moments. Same thing with marriages. You know, you say you're engaged and everybody's so excited, but nobody says like, these are going to be the hardest days of your life, you know, learning how to live and relate with a new person. But that happens with all these things, all these great things in our lives, that we look back, you know, and we have great memories, we, we struggled. What about college? Remember going away to college, and, you know, it was all fun, and everybody's excited for, you know, the college you're going to, but halfway through that first semester, you are lonely, or at least I was, you know, missing home, and, and all of those kinds of feelings uh, that come during that stage of life. Like, all of these things happen. All I, I think we could look back, like, all these good things have these challenges, that sometimes we just weren't prepared for, but we deal with it as we go. At least we try to. I'm wondering, though, if the same thing can be said for our spiritual life. For When we become Christians, you know, everybody's excited. You receive Christ, and you raise your hand, and everybody's thrilled, and, and they're, they're excited for it. They genuinely are because your life has been changed, and you, you get baptized, and, you know, you, you, you kind of died to, to your sins and to everything else, and you're raised new, and you're, everything is new. But nobody comes alongside of you when you're dripping wet and saying, you know, this is going to be the hardest thing in your life. Like, there are going to be days where right now you're all wet, you know, from the baptism, but you're going to feel completely dry, both externally and internally. You're going to feel like God has abandoned you. He's left you. You're going to thirst. Nobody really says that during those times. But I think for a lot of us who have uh, been in the faith for some time, you can look back at times in your life and say, yeah, there, there were times. There were maybe seasons of discouragement, of depression, of like wondering, like, what is God doing? Has he forgotten me? Has he abandoned me? Like, what did I do wrong that, that God doesn't want to, you know, shine on me, doesn't want to bless me? I think a lot of us could look back at times like that in our lives. But when we look back, we say, while they were very, very hard, those were times of growth. That while I felt like I was abandoned, God was actually working in my life and bringing about Christ in me. I think it's important to talk about this because some of you, you may be a new Christian, right? And, 
you know, it's all good. Everything is great, and you're excited, and you have this new community, and you, you have new friends, and everything is great. But there will be a time, if it hasn't happened already, there will be a time where you're going to feel far from God. You're going to feel like the, all the things you used to do that you really enjoyed, you don't, you don't feel God anymore. And so what do you do? So there's some of you, maybe you haven't experienced that. Some of you, maybe you're in that right now. Where you just feel dry. The spiritual dryness is in your heart and in your life. And you're kind of just stuck and you're like, I don't know what to do. So we want to talk about that. And, and I, I guess the question is, is, does Scripture speak to this? Does Scripture say anything about these times in our lives? Do, do we open up Scripture and, and do we see verses that say something like, hey, if you're feeling far from God, it's your own fault? <laughs> you know? Pray harder, do more, go to church more, whatever. Like, is that the message we see in Scripture? Or are there places in Scripture that, that speak into this? That speak into this time of dryness, of longing, of this kind of a feeling maybe abandoned by God? Well, Lucky for you that today in our passage in Psalm 42, it speaks to these very things. And so we'll take just a few minutes and look at this and see what God has to say to us. What is the message he has for those who are thirsting for God? Those who feel disillusioned or abandoned. When God feels abandoned, or when you feel abandoned, when God feels distant, It is not that you have done something wrong. It's not that God hates you or is punishing you. It is a normal part of our Christian experience. And Scripture tells us how we are to walk through that. And so in today's passage, let's let's look and see what God speaks to, uh, to you about. This is a song, all right? It's Psalm 42. Uh, The very, very beginning says it's for the choir director. So if it's for the choir director, it's supposed to be sung just like we did, just like Daryl did. Uh, if you are a, were a Christian back in the 90s, uh, there was another song like that, right? You might have heard many times. I sang it a thousand times. Like, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you. You alone are my heart's desire, you know. Um, that was a song that I sang so many times. So I remember it. So these, these are songs to be sung. They're all words of instruction as well. And so what do we hear? What does God instruct us with? What is the song that we get to sing? So let's look at it. There are times when you will feel abandoned by God. When you will say, I feel far from God. Look at verse 1 and 2. That's what the writer says. He says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? You look at those words, right? As a deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you. I, I long for you. My soul thirsts for you. And where can I go to find you? Deers are not stupid. Right? They know where water is. I mean, that's how they live. They need water. And so deers, they'll know there's many, many streams, many rivers, many places where they can find water. And so this, this deer of this story has obviously um, gone to these streams before. 
has found water in these streams in the past, but now those streams have dried up. Now the deer goes to this little brook or the stream, and instead of finding water to quench its thirst, it's just rocks, right? Just river rock. But that deer needs it. These animals, they need water. Just uh, yeah, like a few weeks ago, we were horseback riding in Wyoming, and I had this horse that loved to eat. And uh, they said right at the very beginning, they're like, don't let this horse eat grass. Like, don't let it do it. Like, you got to show it. Who's boss? If, if you let it eat, then it's going to, like, it'll be boss, and it's going to eat all the time. And so uh, I failed miserably. I'm like, you, you, you're bigger than I am. You want to eat? You go eat. I tried. But I remember we came to a little river, a little, little stream, and, uh, you know, I was, like, trying to keep the horse from drinking. Like, you know, they told me not to eat. That probably applies to water as well. But instead, the wrangler's like, let the horse drink. Like, let them, like, they're dying. They need water. If they don't, and they, she gave some scientific terms. They, you know, basically dehydration. If they, if they don't drink, they're going to dehydrate, and then they're going to die, right? So you got to let them have water. This deer is the same. They need it. It's craving it. But this deer is now the streams are dry. And it's a metaphor for us as well. That we, we thirst for God. We have, we're going back to where we've met him before, but it's dry. He's not there. So whether it's in your Bible study or it's in your prayer time or your favorite worship songs, it's just not singing to you the way it used to. So he feels far from God. Then he says this in verse 2. He asks this question. He says, where can I go meet with him? Like, where is he? I, I, I used to go to church, and he was there, but he's not there. So where do I go? Do I find a new church? When I'm dry, do I find a new church just to go to? One that's, uh, you know, closer to my home or further than my home? One that's more liberal or more conservative? One that's more into social action or one that just preaches the Bible? Like, is that what I need to do? Just find a new place where God is at? Maybe it's a, not a, a church. Maybe it's a, a place go to the beach or the mountains, or maybe it's a new religion. Is that what I need to do? So he's asking, like, I'm feeling dry. Where do I find you, God? So he's feeling far from God, but he's also feeling, like, crushed by God, overwhelmed by him. Look at verse 7. It says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Like, this might sound like if you like surfing or you're in the ocean or you like waterfalls this might sound like oh this is a good thing like it's refreshment but in the scriptures when it talks about deep and it talks about waterfalls and waves it's not a good refreshing time it's a it's a time of turmoil of trouble you know who uses exact same language is jonah in jonah chapter two it's a psalm that he's kind of he, he wrote after the fact he's recounting his experience of running from god being thrown overboard, being swallowed by a whale, being spit out. And he uses the same language. As deep calls to deep. So you have, I've been called into your depths. He says, the currents have swirled around me. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. This is not a good thing. So this person's feeling far from God. And now they're feeling like God's against them. It's, it's not... Satan's breakers and waves or the world's waves. It's God's waves. He's saying, God, you are punishing me. You're throwing these things on me. This extra burden or the weight. We don't know exactly what that is. 
but he's just feeling like God's got it out for him. So he feels far from him, but then God is, is punishing him. He, it's, it's obvious to everybody. He says in verse 3 that everyone can tell. He says everybody's looking at him and saying, well, where's your God? All right, you, you put your faith in him. Obviously, he's abandoned you. He says that a couple times, and it's like they're, they're making fun of him. They're taunting him. They're saying, we don't see it in you. We don't see the peace of God. We don't see all that stuff in you. And that's crushing him as well. To the point where he says this refrain throughout this chapter, throughout this, this psalm, that my soul is downcast. I'm depressed. It says in verse 5 and 6, and he says it throughout. He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed or depressed within me? Now, this is hard. Depression, being downcast, disturbed. These, these are hard things. He's feeling humbled. He's feeling troubled. And all of this, his conclusion in verse 9, he says, Why, God, have you forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me? You've just, it's, it's, just, it's, it's enough if you would have just kind of left. But you, you have forgotten me. See that there's so much emotion in here. And there's a lot of pain. Feeling like I'm thirsting for you. That's all I want, but I can't find you. All right. Um, I feel like you've been just pounding me. Just one after the other. The waves, they just keep coming. People are making fun of me. You've forgotten me. These are strong words. But they're real, isn't it? It's very real. Some uh, might be discouraged. If you had somebody, let's say a, a friend of yours, or maybe in your small group, and the person comes in and we say, hey, how are you all doing? That's great. It's good to be together. Say, how are you doing? Uh, and they, they gave this kind of a story. I feel far from God. He's, he has left me. He's abandoned me. He's forgotten me. He's punishing me. Like, what would we do? How would you respond to that? Like, don't, don't say those. That's not true. That's not good theology. That We might say that. We probably would. I was encouraged to hear the words of John Piper, who is, is, is so precise in his theology. But I read what he said, what he talked about on this. He's, he called these words of wind. He says, you guys, when people are hurting, they're going to react. They're going to they're gonna say things uh, from a place of hurt. He gives the example of Job. You know who Job, who is just, you talk about tragedies. And Job says some hard things, and it's not always right theology, but it's real. And Piper was just saying, just when you hear your small group say that kind of stuff, when you hear your best friends, let it go. You don't have to correct them on all their, the nuances of theology. They're hurting, and you've got to enter into that pain with them. Sit with them. Be with them. So here's his heart. Here's how he feels. Can you identify with that? Have you identified with that in your past? Does that make sense? It's a hard place to be. Hard place to be. For a Christian, you, you think that once you come to Christ, like, oh, everything is great. Now my life is going to be so good. I'll be just be full of joy and peace and love and all of these great things. Yet instead... I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I feel far from God. 
the reasons why this has happened. We, we don't exactly know. He doesn't spell it out on why this happens, but we have a few ideas, and I'm going to just give you probably three different ideas that, that might happen to us, right? Uh, disruption, disillusionment, and deprivation, right? Um, disruption. There's a disruption in his community. So look at verse 4. He says, these are the things I remember as I pour out my soul. Like, this is what I remember. He says, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. It's an, like, when I say that, I, I picture a worship leader. You know, someone who has been leading worship. This is what they love to do. They love leading the congregation in worship. They're singing the songs. They're praising the Lord. People are looking to them, and it's just, it's good. Like, God is speaking to them. They love it. He says, that's what I, I used to experience. That's where I felt so close to God. He says, but now I'm far away. I'm on the other side of the Jordan. I'm by Mount Hermon. Right? I mean, he's a long ways away. He's been removed from his community. And we have seen that so many times. That uh, when people leave a church, you know, they move away. Or maybe there's transition in the church. The, the senior pastor or another pastor leaves and they, they kind of lose some of that community. We see it with college students. Call it your high school, junior high, high school. You grow up in the church and you're part of this community. This is what you know. And then you go away to school and you're away from that community. There's probably other things as well, maybe some new freedom and all that. But it's a disruption of the community. And so for some people, that's so hard. They don't know how to get back into that. We can happen, it happens in churches even like with church plants. You know, a good thing. We're planning a new church, but pretty soon, you know, 30 of your friends go to this church plant and your community is disrupted. And it's hard for you. How do you rebuild this community? Tim Keller says about his church in, in, um, in New York, and he says it's probably true with other churches, but he says because of just the nature of life, people are moving. People come and go. New jobs, new houses, uh, new places. They go to new churches. You know, their children feel connected, so they go with their children to a different church. He says, if, you know, we, love, we love things not to change, but the reality is life changes. And those of you in the church, you have to recreate this community every two to three years. Every two to three years, you have to kind of recreate this, this community. Maybe your small group or, or your accountability. Because people will just leave. And we don't like that. We, we want to come to church and like, you know, get our friends and then we just keep them for the rest of our lives. But you know, if you haven't gone to church for a little bit, you come back, you're like, who are all these people? Where's everybody gone? Like, that's the nature of church. So part of it is just that disruption of community. I say that, be aware. Let's be aware. Sometimes the reason we feel far from God is just our community has been changed. And we have to recreate that. Okay? Uh, another one, disillusionment. You know, life was good. He said, I used to go back. We used to worship. It was, it was great. But now people are saying, where's your God? Right? All of that, that hype and all that joy that you used to have, you don't, you don't have anymore. And so it's this disillusionment. We think, like I said earlier, that our, when we become Christians, that our, our, now your life is good. Now it's going to be all great. It's going to be wonderful. But it's not. 
when we have these moments where we feel far from God, we, we kind of wonder what we did wrong. We're, we're so moralistic. I mean, we, we, there's always like if, you know, um, A plus B equals C kind of thing. Like there's, it's always an equation. You know, so if I'm far from God, I must have done something wrong. And here's what it is. And that is also the other thing that we talk about in our small groups. So the person who says, I fear, feel far from God, we say, well, you've got to get your right theology. And then the next thing is, have you been praying? Right? Have you been reading your Bible? Have you been meditating? Have you been journaling? Have you been counting your blessings one by one? There's so many of them. You've got to be so thankful and count God's blessings. Like, we say all these things. But sometimes it's not that. Sometimes we say, yeah, I've been reading the Bible, and I am praying. I'm doing all that stuff, and I still feel far from God. Maybe it's not always just something that we did. Maybe it's not always just a sin or it's just something like that. Maybe this is God's plan in our life. Maybe he's letting us have these trials or walk through these valleys for our faith to grow. So disillusionment. In, in our lives. Um, the last, deprivation. You know, look at the, this, and I'm talking about like physical. Like, this is physical hurt, physical pain. Look at these words. He says in verse, uh, verse 3, he says, tears have been my food day and night. Tears have been my food day and night. That's a strong emotion. I mean, one, there's, there's emotion. He's crying. Uh, but two, it's, he's not eating. I mean, tears are his food, and there's not a lot of nutritional value in the tears, right? He's, he's eating tears day and night, I meaning he's not sleeping, right? He's not sleeping. Like, it, the sun goes down, and it's ready to go to bed, but his eyes are wide open. His mind is going. Can't sleep, not eating. Do these things matter? He says in verse 10, he says, My bones suffer moral agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me, Where is your God? Like he fills it deep in his bones. So these things matter. Does the physical part matter? Again, in the church, one of the things we do is we tend to discount that kind of stuff. Right? We, we, we just kind of say, well, it's, it, you've got you to gotta do the right thing. You've got to follow the word. You've got to know the truth. All that is good. But there's a whole other aspect. It's funny, like, how we, we in, here in the West, we like to separate all these things. Like, you know, the physical is the physical. Like, you know, get sleep, uh, get some rest, you know, get on some medication if you need that, right? Or uh, we look at the psychological. Uh, we need to, you know, work with your emotions, you know. We need to build the, the relationships back in your life, you know. Maybe that's, that's it. Or it's the, the spiritual. Yeah, you got to get in touch with God and, and hear from him. But, but could it be that it's all of these things? Because I see that in this passage. I see the spiritual talking to God. I see that emotional, the, the psychological, the relationships and, and the emotional pain. But I see that physical aspect too. That guy just needs some sleep. Right? Needs some food and some sleep. And maybe some medication or some help with that. But this person's struggling physically. And so we don't always look at those things. But here we're putting all those things together. These are probably some reasons why someone's discouraged. Why someone feels this empty. 
And so for you, as you look back in your life, if you are struggling in your relationship with God, might it be some of these things? That's disruption in community, some changes that happened, or uh, just, you know, the way that you've just pictured your life to go. It should just, everything should just go up, up and to the right, but maybe it doesn't go that way. Or maybe there's some physical pain as well that you need to address. So those, that's kind of the picture. That's kind of the, the picture of what we're dealing with. Now, where do we go from here? Is there some hope? Is there an answer? Well, yes, there is an action that we can take. You know, how we counter the defeating sense of being abandoned by God, what's the response? He gives four different things here. I'll try to move through them quickly. But one of the things is he just pours out his soul. He pours out his soul. He says that language, I'm just I'm pouring it out before the Lord. Uh, a way to say that in modern language, you know, he's getting in touch with his feelings. Getting in touch with our feelings. Uh, again, sometimes in the church we tend to kind of probably put our, the, the mind above the heart, you know. Uh, truth above feelings, but they're all integrated. They're all in there. And this psalm is so emotional. He's getting in touch with his emotions. This is something that there's kind of some stigma, especially for guys, right? You can't get that emotional or whatever. But but he is. He's bringing his emotions before the Lord. He's praying honest prayers. And that's what I would encourage you is to know, find those emotions and then pray through those emotions. So if you're feeling far from God, don't just kind of like, I'm not going to pray until I feel close. But pray through those. Hey, Lord, I, I don't feel like praying. This may not be a very long prayer. <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel close to you. I'm struggling with this. But I'm going to bring it before you. Right? And I, I feel like that's, that's the heart of, of King David. Right? Uh, a person who is after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart, yet f- far from perfect. Right? He, he had his flaws, left and right. But what did he always do? And it took some time. Sometimes there, there was a little gap in between, but he would always come back to God. He would always bring it back to the Lord. And so be able to say, hey, I feel far from you, Lord, but I'm coming to you. I'm going to bring this in prayer, and I'm going to let you interact with it. All right, uh, Lord, I don't feel your presence at all, but I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to keep coming and keep asking for you to, to draw near. Uh, I feel alone. All right? I feel like there's not a single friend out there, but I'm going to come to you. Your word says that you're my friend, that you stick close to me. I'm going to come back to you. I mean, whatever this is, whatever is in your heart, bring it with an honest prayer. God can handle it. He can handle it. Let's just pour out our hearts before him. That's the first thing. The second thing is analyze your hopes. Analyze your hopes. I'm going to do a little, a little research, you know. Look through. What, what, are you, what have you put your hope in? And maybe that needs to be adjusted. He says in verse 5, he says in verse 11, and then in chapter 43, verse 5, which a lot of people say it's kind of the, the same. They're all one. But there's that the same, and I would agree, the same refrain three times, word for word. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, and my God. He says that three times through here. 
He's asking this question, why are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed? I'm wondering, is that a rhetorical question? Or is that a sincere question looking for information? If it's rhetorical, he he already knows the answer. Like, we, we say that, like, why did you do that? We don't need an example. We're just like, you did that because you're immature or stupid or whatever it is, right? But he's like, why? Why why am I so downcast? Why am I so discouraged? Like, I need answers. I want answers. I'm I'm looking for you to give me answers. And it seems like he's coming down to his hope. He's putting my hope in God. That I probably put my hope in other things. Maybe I put my hope in, in just that worship experience. I was a worship leader. I loved it. That's what I put my hope in and joy. That's where I found, you know, the connection in leading people in worship. But that maybe was, it's a good thing, but it's not the best thing. Put your hope in God. We get an example of this from from Psalm 3. Uh, Psalm 3, verse 3. I mean, this is a psalm from David. Uh, He is on the run. He's running from all, out of all people, his son, Absalom, who was his son, good-looking kid. David probably put his hope in him, saying, someday that kid's going to be king. All right, he's strong, he's tall, he's good-looking. Here David is the, the, the king of this kingdom. He probably put his hope in that, put his hope in his son. But now he's on the run, and his son has kicked, chased him out of his home, chased him out of Jerusalem into the wilderness, and his son is trying to kill him so he could be king. Maybe his hope was in the wrong thing. And in chapter 3, Psalm 3, verse 3, he says, But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. In other words, I'm putting my hope in you, God, alone. And so for us, maybe this is one of those things we have to look. What did we put our hope in? And like I said, it might be really, really good things. But if it's not in God, if it's not in Jesus, it's the wrong thing. So take time to analyze what have we put our hope in? Our friends, our our future, our job, our our finances. Well, it just takes one bad stock market crash to, to take that away, as we know, right? Don't put your hope in those things. Put your hope in God. Third thing he says is remember the loving kindness of God. Remember God's love. He says in verse 8, By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Saying by day God is directing me. God's hand is still moving. He's still directing. And he's, he's guiding me by his love, his loving kindness, his faithful love. There's some strong words in there in that word love. It, it's so comprehensive and so deep that even in this time, God is leading me. He's leading me with love. So by day, he's leading me at night. His song is within me. I love that. He comes back to the song. He's taken this, these words and made it a song he's thinking about at night as he's swallowing his tears, as he's not able to sleep. He's singing these songs. And I, this is important because, again, so many times we as American Christians, we think like, 
you know, good, like the real good Christians, we read our Bibles. Like, read it. Not on your app. Don't listen to it, you know, on audio. Like, we read it. Like, I don't know if you guys feel that, especially the younger generation, but I know I felt that. You know, that's what good Christians do. And then, and then you pray. And then, like, secondary was, like, worship music. It was like, you know, that's, that's like, extra credit. But I don't, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my journey as a Christian where there's been times where I felt really like the word just is so alive and speaks to me. And then there are other times where I feel like what, what really works is prayer. Like I feel really close during prayer. But there's other times where it's not like the word is not speaking like it used to. Prayer is not there. But what's really there is worship. Like that's where I'm really like feeling connected with God. Anybody else realize that? Is that okay? Should we be embarrassed or ashamed by that? Or might that be part of this whole mix? No, I'm not, certainly not saying, you know, get rid of your Bible and don't pray and all you need is worship music. I'm not saying that at all. But there are times where just singing some of those worship songs that you grew up with or those hymns or the newest worship music that's out there can really guide us, can speak to us. The Lord can use those things. So don't discount that. He says, you know, by day I'm feeling God's love direct. At night I'm singing this song. I'm remembering the loving kindness of God. Trying to dwell on that. As easy or as hard it might be, just remembering God's deep and abiding love for us. That's the third thing. The fourth thing, the last thing that we have here, is learn how to preach to your heart. You have to become a preacher. you got to learn how to preach, but you're preaching to yourself. You're already doing it. You already preach to yourself all the time, but what you're probably giving are bad sermons. (laughs) You're probably, at times like this, saying, you know why this is all happening? Because you are a spiritual failure, right? You're like a spiritual idiot. You know, you are, you don't, you don't know how to please God. Whatever you're doing is wrong. You have too much sin. You've got too little of that. God's discouraged. He's, he's left you. He's moved on to somebody who has more promise. All right, those are the sermons we're probably preaching to ourselves. But instead, we've got to hear from God's word and we've got to preach these messages. Preach what God has put. But here's, here's the cool thing in here. Like, These little refrains that I read already, you know, like, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Those aren't necessarily prayers, right? He's not saying, oh, God, you know, why is my soul downcast? He's speaking to himself. He's saying, why, my soul, why are you downcast? Why are you you feeling this way? He's preaching to himself. He's saying, now, mind and soul, like, you got to be quiet now. I've been hearing your chitter-chatter. Right, I've been hearing those words, but now i got to preach, and i got to preach this message. Put your hope in God, not in those other things. Remember God's faithful love. He's loved you. He's poured out his love on you. He always has loved you. He always will love you. That, like we learned last week, there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Nothing. Not even some... Uh, disillusionment, not even some depression or discouragement. That can't separate us from God's love. Learn how to preach to yourself. Preach God's word into your heart. 
as we finish this psalm, we notice that it's, it's in progress. It's, it's a work in progress, right? It ends with this word, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It's kind of like, uh, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm getting there. I know where to go. I know what to do. I'm on my way. It, we love the Psalms that kind of wrap up like they have that, and then it ends with this, and I put my hope in God, and he blessed me, and da-da-da-da. And now there's just great days ahead. But that's not exactly where that, it's in progress. So for you, wherever you're at, you might be in progress too, and that's okay. For I will yet put my hope in him, my Savior and my God. As I pull this together, I, I have to bring up these last parts about Savior, my Savior and my God. Throughout this psalm, it's just, it's, it, it might be subtle, but it keeps pushing us to Christ. Pushing us to, to think about him. How does this song start? It says, as a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. I thirst for you, God. Where are you? Where can I go to find you? And there's a few things that that brings up as we think about Christ. What does that remind us of? Remember on the cross, what did he say? When he was on the cross, he, he called, he said, I'm thirsty. I am thirsty. I mean, legitimately, physically, he was thirsty. Right? But he also... Throughout the cross, remember he says, why, my God, have you forsaken me? He calls back to Psalm 22, a, a song that he identifies with. He says, why are you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Why do you not hear my cries of anguish? I cry out all day long, but you don't answer me. And then he says, I'm poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart's melted like wax. My mouth is dry. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. That's how Jesus um, felt. And when we go through these moments, perhaps, like I said, it's God's way of helping us in our sanctification, helping us become more like Christ. That when we feel like, I am so dry, I'm just so spiritually thirsty, that we can identify with Christ. That Christ was there too. He felt that way. He felt spiritually thirsty. He felt distant from God. He felt far away. Yeah, he kept his eyes on God. He says, but I'm going to keep my eyes on him. I'm going to be faithful to him. At times like this, rather than thinking of it as a punishment or anything, maybe we can see it as identifying with Christ. It's part of our own walk. It's not something that we need to run from, but we can embrace and say, just as Christ embraces and he embraced the cross, so I am going to embrace him. Furthermore, he talks about living water. Remember in John chapter 4, he says, he's talking to this lady. He asks her for some water because once again, yes, he's thirsty. She's like, you're asking me for water? Okay, that's weird. But then he says, after they're talking, he says, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for water. And I would give you living water. I would give you water that comes from the spring of life that gives eternal life. And so here, when we look at this whole idea of thirsting, like we have to go to Christ. We have to look back and say, he was one that thirsted. 
and we identify with him. But more so, he is the answer to our thirst. He's the one that gives us the living water to quench our thirst. Seeing Christ in this is so important. As you go through life, you will have moments where you feel far from God. But God is in it. And he's drawing us towards Christ. Just as when you're thirsty, you're like, where can I find some water? Where's a drinking fountain? Where's a 7-Eleven I can get some water? So spiritually thirsty, where can I find Christ? I'm drawn to him. Find him for living water. Years ago, I heard um, a pastor say this. He said, the whole purpose of the church gathering is to prepare people for the encounters of death. It sounds weird, right? It says, the whole purpose of the church gathering is to prepare people for death. And that, that sounds weird in our context. Like, that might, like, come out of the blue. Like, what? But think about, like, the, you know, I don't mean the early church as in, like, in Scripture, but, like, you know, back in America or England. If you were to go to church back then, you know what you'd walk through before you got in the sanctuary? You'd walk through a graveyard. Churches, they, they would have these graveyards. And it's, it was very symbolic, saying if you want eternal life, you have to go through death first, right? And if, you are, are gonna, if you're going to be with Christ, there's this whole process of dying and coming to life. And so that whole graveyard is, it wasn't just a convenient place to bury someone you know, who died. It, it was intentional. That was how churches were for years. Now, here in Orange County, there's no, there's no graveyard here in front, right? We don't have one, not in the back grass or anything. We, I don't think we ever will, right? But we, because of that, we've lost sight of this, this whole idea of suffering and death. And so, instead, we are so triumphalistic. We are, it's all about good things. We want the good and we want the best. And we want to be prosperous and successful. There's that's in scripture it's not bad but you see that we we want that more than anything else and we've lost sight of this whole idea of what it means to suffer what it means to suffer for christ so all i i I just bring that up just to remind us that for centuries christians understood that as we live with christ there's a certain part of suffering a part of sacrifice there's a, a death that we will die in order to receive christ um, we need to remember that. Okay, so when, you know, you leave here, and it was a, hopefully a good worship experience and all that, but later on, you're going um, to have these moments of just feeling dry. What do you do? What do you do? Is it an anomaly? Is it a God punishing you? Or can you use that to come back to Christ, to find him, to find living water, to renew your hope, to find your thirst quenched through Christ and walk with him through these valleys. And in doing so, he will bring you into glory. I can't guarantee what that looks like and all that here on earth, but I do know that glory awaits after this life is over. Amen?